All right, if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to find them and turn with me to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be looking at uh, the first 14 verses of Luke 16. I told you when we started this series, there was a five-part series on the uh, subject of generosity. And so we've been talking about generosity in uh, all the various uh, compartments of our lives. And um, I'm following a series that was done by Tim Keller, who is following a series that was done by a guy named Ed Clowney that I had as a professor of preaching in seminary. And so I, I told you at the front end, I'm, I'm kind of following a well-worn path with these guys. And one of Ed Clowney's uh, primary, um, uh, you know, insights that really kind of enabled me to understand the idea of, of uh, the, the impetus for giving and for being generous in my life was what he called doxological worship. And, uh, and what that is is just that in our lives, we're, we are generous with our time, talent, and resources because of that gospel. It's that gospel center that propels us outward into generosity. And uh, that's the idea of the, the doxologic, the worshipful part of it, right? That it's a, it's our act of worship to go into the world and be generous with our service, with our, um, with our gifts and our talents and all of those sorts of things. So this morning we are landing at that, uh, that final sermon, the one that you have all been anxiously awaiting. We're going to Talk about money, generosity with money, which is what you typically think about with respect to money, right? So you probably thought when you first saw the sermon series, oh man, a five-part series on my money, Um, how delightful. And and I hope that it's been somewhat of of a surprise to you. It hasn't been a a full frontal assault. Um, Someone came up to me last week and said, why don't you just tell us to give, give your money to the church? And I said... And I understood what the individual was saying, but it isn't really what we're talking about. What we're really talking about is what's happening down in here that is propelling us into the kingdom of God in ways that are godly and God-honoring, right? So it's a little bit different than just, hey, give your money to the church. That's not what I... It's not what I'm interested in. That's not what Jesus does. That's not how he approaches it. It certainly isn't how the Apostle Paul approaches it. Um, and so that's not what this is. A, this is not a sermon series uh, designed to somehow sneak in the back door and clobber you upside the head with respect to your money. That is not, uh, I mean, I've done absolutely everything I can do to avoid that. Because that isn't what the Bible does. The Bible doesn't come at us and say, give us your money. Um, that's not, that's not the Bible's approach. Uh, it's, the Lord is actually much more savvy than that. Um, and, uh, and He challenges us with respect to who we are and who He is. And you'll see that this morning in the passage. <clears throat> Alright, so I'm done apologizing. Let's read. John chapter 16 verses 1 through 14. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be a manager any, uh, you can, you cannot be a manager any longer. 
The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate, hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word this morning as we come to it now. I pray that my meditations on it and the words uh, of our lips will be uh, acceptable in your sight. And that, Father, it will be good for us, and uh, it will give glory to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that we've said as we've uh, started and been working our way through this uh, idea of generosity is that it is possible to be technically generous with your money and not be at all radically generous in your heart's affections. It is possible to be technically generous with money and yet not have your heart be broken open so that it is, in effect, radically generous. There's a flip of that that is true as well, and it's this. It is impossible for you to be generous in your heart and not be radically generous with your money. It's impossible for you to have a life-altering heart change, okay, where your heart is radically altered towards God and in the direction of the Lord Jesus, and, and the converse of that be that you don't become radically generous with your wealth. It's impossible. And when we come to the text, that, that is really what um, what Jesus is driving towards, and we see it in really in all of Scripture. So here's the story. 
and Jesus is using a parable. So what he is trying to do is tell a story because what he would typically do is take something from modern culture and their, their world, their sphere of living, and he would turn it into a story so that his hearer could understand the heavenly truth that he was trying to drive home. And so in this case, the story that he tells is there was a, a wealthy man who had uh, a manager of his wealth and possessions. So typically the way this operated was you would have, uh, if you were wealthy, you would have someone who managed your, your wealth. Uh, someone likened it to having the COO, right, the chief operations officer, and the CFO tied up into one person. And this one person would take your money, and they would take your possessions, and they would be the, the manager of all of those things. And so Jesus says, there's a man, there was a man, he was the manager of this, uh, well, he was the wealthy man, and he had a manager. And he went to him, and he said, I have heard that you are mismanaging. Now, you can read it one of two ways. My possessions, or your possessions. Uh, there are ap- actually two kind of ways to read this. And, and, and let me just, let me just go with one of those. If he went to the man and he said, I have heard that you are mismanaging your possessions. I am going to fire you because I don't want you managing my possessions if you can't manage your own. Right? And when you get to the very end of the text, I think that's a, that's actually a reading that, that could be possible. Um, because Jesus says, right? If you're, if you don't, if you're not good with the little things, um, you're not going to be entrusted with more. Things like that. The flip, the other part could be that he's coming to him and saying, listen, I've heard that you are mismanaging my possessions and I'm firing you. Either way, it all works out at the end. So he comes, he says, you're not good with what you have. I'm firing you. And the man panics. He panics because this is his life. He is a manager of funds. He is a manager of this man's possessions, and he is losing his job. And he says, what am I going to do? I'm too weak to dig, and I'm too proud to, uh, to, to beg. And I am going to be without friends. So uh, what am I going to do? Aha! This really is kind of in the text, right? There's an aha moment. And what he says is, all right, here's what I'm going to do. And then he does it. And the plan that he executes is he brings in the debtors to his boss. And he literally cuts off up to half in one instance of what it is that they owe. Now, there are a couple of lines of thinking on this, right? One is that there was uh, the, the, user, the usury fee, okay, the interest was too high to begin with. Okay, so uh, the, 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 the owner of the funds, the rich man, had set the, the fee much too high. And so um, he was executing that and he realized, okay, if I, if I slash that down to what is biblical in the Old Testament, because the Lord does not look kindly upon um, charging people great interest, especially in situations of need. Um, and so... He, he's either whacking the man's interest fees or the other option is he had lumped those on top of the usury 
himself. Okay, so he was making money off of people um, in addition to what his boss had asked him. So he was making wealth while making wealth for his boss. Are you with me? Um, in the end, it all washes out because what he does is he cuts the amount. He slashes it. And he slashes it because he is hoping that what is going to happen is he is going to win friends in the community who will later, what, invite him into their homes. Okay? And so uh, that is what is going on. At the end, the rich man comes back and he commends him for his shrewdness. Now, you're going to read this, and at the first reading, I would say, you've got to dig around in this passage, because it does not strike you at first blush as something to be commended, okay? Uh, and so it's a challenging passage in, in that respect, but there are some general principles that are operating here that are very easy for us to draw from. Here's the first one. We're, we are stewards, all right? That is the first thing that jumps off the page. Jesus is telling a story, and the, the essence of the story is that this man, okay, the manager of the funds, is, is merely managing the rich man's money. It isn't his, and the, the manager, the, the rich man, wants him to use it well. He wants him to do good things with it. He wants him to invest that money in things that matter and things that will last. And he wants it to grow. I mean, the rich man understands, you know, what it is that he wants, he desires with his funds. And what he wants is for them to be used well. And so this man who is the manager, okay, He's, at the outset, he's struggling. He, he's having a, a, a bit of a hard time. But he gets, he gets his feet on dream and he makes a really smart decision with the money when he begins to slash the rates because he's investing in something that is actually greater than earning wealth. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the point is, this first point, is that we're stewards. You and I are in the same position. We are stewards. It isn't ours. Anything that we have, anything that's been given to us, anything that we have possession of, rightly belongs to the Lord. I read for you the passage out of uh, out of First uh, Chronicles. I want you to listen to it again because, you know, Typically, the things we're doing in the service, and, and you may or may not have been picking up on them, but typically the things we're doing is we're trying to weave in to the service different elements of what's going to come at you in the sermon. And so I read from you from First Chronicles chapter 29, this passage, and it's really David's prayer. And I want you to just listen to it again in light of what I just said, that we're a steward and everything that we have belongs to the Lord, right? Here's what he says. Praise be to you, Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Okay? So what do you say? God, you're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the end. Yours, O Lord, this is uh, chapter 29, First uh, Chronicles chapter 29, beginning verse 10. He says, verse 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Okay? 
You're, you're, beyond, you're beyond us, above us, and absolutely everything. And then he says this, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Now, I want you to stop right there. Who's praying this? David. I would venture a guess that we could take all of the wealth in this room and it isn't going to come close to the wealth that David ended up in possession of as king. Right? So here's David's prayer. David's prayer is, For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord. And then he trans, Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You're in possession of the kingdom. You... It's, it's yours, and you are exalted as head over all. You are the king and the one that we are to worship. And then he says this, Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you our thanks and our praise. Okay? David is praying a steward's prayer. And he's saying, God, everything I have... Everything I am, the strength and power that you have, that you have given to us, given to me, it all comes from you. Every bit of it. And so, as stewards, right, we are responsible, and we toss that around a lot in the, in the church. It's one of the buzz, it's kind of a buzzword. Right? We, we want to be a good steward. Uh, we want to be a good steward. Typically, we're saying that when we want to be cheap. Um, we want to, right, we want to, we want to be a good steward, and so we're going to hold back here. We're not going to, you know, instead of being lavish and like, you know, we're going to be good stewards. We're going all in on this kingdom project. Uh, we're typically saying, well, we want to be good stewards, so we're going to hoard it right up close to our chest, okay? Um, but be that as it may, uh, David is saying a, a, a prayer, the prayer of a, of a steward, because he understands that everything belongs to the Lord. But, so everything belongs to the Lord. But what does the Lord ask of us? What did he ask in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament? Y'all know. 10%. Okay? Somebody said it this way. Imagine, imagine that you, you were called in and uh, somebody was going to hire you. And here was the proposition. The proposition was, I am going to hire you, and what I want you to do is I'm going to give you $10 million, and I want you to go invest that, okay? And you're going to invest the $10 million, and you get to keep 90% of it, okay? I just want 10. Just give me back 10%. You invest it. Whatever you make, you keep 90% of it. Just give 10% back to me. How many of y'all will take that deal? That job you want? That's pretty sweet. That's a pretty sweet gig, isn't it? Uh, isn't that what the Lord's saying, right? Everything that we have is from Him, and what He says is, I want 10%. Um, and that's, that's in the, that's in the Old Covenant, that's in the Old Testament. You say, well, we're in the New Testament. We're under grace, you know, we got, oh, let me ask. Uh, does the standard go up or down because you know more and you've experienced more, you've seen more of the grace, right? I mean, Christ has come, He has died. There's no, there are no shadows anymore with respect to what God, it is, what it is that God's doing. Now we have the full picture. 
And because we have the full picture, there's actually more demand, more responsibility on us. We're, we're actually probably held to a, some, something of a greater account because we have had the gospel presented to us in such, with such clarity. And yet the Lord says, really in the New Testament, it's the attitude of your heart. Why, why do you want to give what's mine to begin with? we're stewards of what He has given to us. Stewards of money that's not our own. That's the first point that comes out of this. Now, that's not the point that's going to move you, probably. Right? It's, that's, that's you know, the, the baseball bat kind of into the gut. And, and that isn't what normally moves us, right? So Jesus doesn't just say that. He says... He says much more than that. And the second point is that comes out of this is we need a, we need a lasting love. Jesus is saying, if this steward understood and behaved in the manner that he did, how much more should you? Okay? So here's the deal. The steward knows he's losing his job, right? So his job is going to go away. The usury fees are enormous on these people. Now, he just calls, he just calls two of them in. There, there are a lot of people that owe this wealthy guy a lot of money. Okay? And so if he would have just collected on a little bit of that, if he would have just, if he would have just siphoned off a little bit of that usury that, that he was probably going to get, and if he would have just gone out before he closed the books out and, and, and walked out the door and handed the keys to the boss, he probably could have scored on some real cash, but that isn't what he does. Instead, what he does is he slashes the rates so that, and here's the thing that's kind of weird for us, so that he would gain friendships. He slashes the rates so that all of the debtors in the community will welcome him into their home. Because what he surmises is friendships are going to be more value to, they're going to have more value to me than dollars. Isn't that interesting? That it, it seems like, really? No. Yes, that's what he does. And when the manager comes, when the owner of the money comes to the manager, he says, how shrewd of you. How smart of you. And what he says is, you've made a really great business decision. Now think about this. What is that rich man's job? Make more money. But he looks at what this guy has done, right? And he says, that is really, really shrewd. And probably what he was thinking, what he really wanted to say was, man, I wish you would have been making good decisions like that all along with my money. Or yours. Then I wouldn't have had to fire you. So when the clamps get put on, the guy makes an amazing decision, and the decision is this. I'm going to invest in people over money. I want you to notice what Jesus says. Verse 9. Again, it's, it's in the context of the parable. In verse 9, he takes two he takes two ideas, right? He takes the portion from the parable and he 
he weaves into it the eternal perspective. It's genius. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed where? Into eternal dwellings. So Jesus takes the idea, he takes the manager's logic, okay? The manager's logic is, I'm going to win some friends so that when I'm out of a job, I'll have people to depend upon. He takes that principle and he says, good idea, really good idea. Now let's put the heavenly spin on it. Let's, let's flip it into heavenly terms. And the heavenly terms is, when you invest in kingdom ideology, when you invest in people, when you invest in kingdom work, you're investing in eternity. You're investing in something that's going to matter forever, right? A la Bo Fowler and FCA going into schools, sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with, with young students and them coming to know Christ, right? How awesome is that? They flip around, you know? You're going to be with them in heaven. What an investment. What a crazy investment. The returns are enormous. Because what is the truth about what's the truth about every house on the lake on the final day? And you're not going anywhere. Fort Knox. It's just going to burn up. It'll fall into a giant hole somewhere. Okay? Psalm 49, Marion read it. Were you thinking all the way through that? Holy, how depressing is that? Right? But the, the outflow of Psalm 49 is, this stuff doesn't matter. But what matters is people and souls and the eventual you're going to be in heaven, okay? And what is heaven? This is a test for those of you who went through the Revelation series. What is heaven? Is it streets of gold? Is it, is it, you know, a foundation of 12 amazing stones? And is it, you know, pearly gates? Is that what heaven is? Remember what we said? No. It's the church. It's people. That's what heaven's all about. Heaven isn't about having an amazing mansion. Does that excite you? I mean, really and truly, does that excite you? No, it doesn't excite you, which is why when somebody's house burns down or when something terrible happens, what's the first question I always ask? Was everybody okay? Why? Because people matter. The house, that doesn't matter. In the final analysis, you know it when you see it and when you hear it. People matter. Friendships matter. Relationships matter. And so as kingdom people, as people who get it, the long game, right? The long game is in eternity, the person that's sitting next to you, the person that was in your home fellowship group that you shared the Lord with, the student that you met out on a football field, they'll be in heaven with you. That's the long game. The short game is, let me get as much as I can get now. That's the, that's the short-sighted game. That's the, 
That's what Jesus is challenging, the mindset that, right, you can put it into this, you can put it into that. What he's saying is that's poor management of what you have. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a house and you don't drive. That's not what we're saying, right? Because remember, we're talking about generosity. And what we're saying is where are you going to put what you give, all right? Are you going to put it first? You got to be. You want to be giving, right? If the Lord's worked in your heart and He's been radically generous here, then you want to be radically generous there. Why? Because you understand the long game, and that's what Jesus is driving towards. Heaven is people, and Jesus wraps it up in verse nine. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone. You'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What a beautiful way to put that. All right. So, I, I got, I'll let it get away from me right there. Uh, but think about it, right? We need, we want lasting love. We know we know that that's what matters in life. You can, have, you can have all the money in the world. If you're not loved and if you're not loving, you're, you're going to be pretty miserable. No, you won't be pretty miserable. You will be miserable because the relationships that you have matter. And what you want is for those relationships to go the long distance with you. Somebody... Uh, um, Noted three points about this, right? Three very practical points. One, never make money at the expense of people. Two, put your money into people's needs. Three, Isaiah 48, right? Invest in what lasts forever. What lasts forever? Isaiah 48 says uh, the word of God lasts forever. When people find faith, they find friends that last forever. And the fourth one is use your money to create a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death. Use your money, use your wealth to create a fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death. All right, let me close with this. Here's the third point. So, right, we're stewards of everything we have. We need lasting love that we can only get as we invest in the long game. And here's the third point, right? We have a friendship that is unrivaled. Okay, so... Think about, think about it this way. Because every sermon that we've talked, as we've looked at generosity, where does it wind up? At the gospel, right? Because that's the motivator. That's what, that's what drives us, okay? So we're stewards of everything. That's the bat, okay? That's the bludgeon. That's the... That, that's direct force applied to us. That's law, okay? We are stewards of everything that God has given to us. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He moves into the next direction. The next direction is, right, think about the investment that you are making in the people that you love now and love them better than they can imagine by taking them to heaven with you. When Jody and I were in, in, in our first church in Louisville, a sweet, godly woman there gave the, some of the women with young children, gave them a little plaque to put on the refrigerator. And the plaque said, your children are the only thing you can take to heaven. Okay? Beautiful. 
great stuff. Not entirely true. Okay? Because you get, it, it is true that you can take your children to heaven and you want to invest immensely in them. Yes, yes, yes. But you get to take your friends too. And what an awesome long game that is. And here's the third part, the gospel part. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 quickly. And we'll finish right here. It's a really short point because you're going to get it. Because you're smart like that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about the generosity of the Macedonians, right? And we get down to verse 7. He says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, he says, right? And he says, verse 8, so this is Paul. He says, I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his what poverty you might become what rich. See, that's the gospel. But Paul just takes us right down to the bare bones, right? And he says, look, Who's the best friend you've got? The best friend you've got is the Lord Jesus. And I don't mean that in a, in a trivial way. I mean it in he, he emptied himself of everything. He gave up all of his wealth in order to take an enemy like you and me and make us his friend. He gave up infinite wealth in order to take enemies like you and me to make us His friends. And Peter says, let's follow in His steps. Let's use our wealth to take enemies and turn them into friends so that we'll spend eternity with them. Isn't that a much better view of money than just give it to the church? I mean, hopefully this church, what we want to be doing is playing the long game. Not interested in the short game. Not interested in, you know, a big, huge, monstrous campus. Okay? If, if we need that in order for the gospel to go out into the world and to be spread and for us to be effective, okay. But not, not to have a big campus. Not to be, you know, the big church on the block. We want to be a church that playing the long game who's affecting people's lives for the Lord Jesus. That's what we want. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And that's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness to us. Thanks for the challenging word that comes to us. Father, we want to be good with what you've given us, both as a church and as individuals. And so, Father, give us a view of the long game. Father, we can play well in the end that we will love our neighbors we will love our community we will be generous with those around us and even with our enemies 
Father, we, uh, we bless you. We thank you. We pray that you'll continue the work that you've begun in us as the Apostle Paul prayed, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. First.